brothers and sisters in Christ. The following story was told by Saint Ephraim the Syrian. At a certain monastery, some of the monks went out to harvest. One of the monks had a high fever, and he told the monks that he could not go out to work. The other monks began to harvest, and some of them began to succumb to bad thoughts about the other monk. They said to each other, he went to rest in the coolness of the monastery, and we are burning in this heat, exhausted by the work. He does not care about us all. If he was here, he could finish the job sooner. So they ordered one of the monks to go back to the monastery and to tell the monk with the fever to get up immediately and to come to help them. Nanevlo Yemeno, responded the monk. He went to the sick monk and said, Father, the monks who are harvesting sent me to find out how you are because they are concerned about your health. They keep on talking about you and are wondering how you are. Look, they are saying, we are healthy and can work, whereas you are suffering and can't even get up from the bed. The sick monk was moved to tears and said, what hearts they have. They are angels to think like that while they are working so hard in the heat. I will get up and go to help them. The monk who was sent by the others ran ahead and when he reached the fields, he said to the monks who were working, the sick monk is very sad and he is sorry that he has let you down. He is coming to ask for your forgiveness, even though he is so sick, truly he is close to death. But he is resolved to come limping to you, to bow before you, to ask your forgiveness and to die. The monks working in the fields were devastated and they departed immediately for the monastery to help the sick monk and prevent him from making himself even more sick. What does this story teach us? The monk wanted to cover the mistakes of his brothers and he went back and forth finding ways to soften the hard hearts of his brothers, tiring himself out being creative, showing sensitivity and discernment and ultimately succeeding in reconciling his brothers and turning their anger around. He did everything he could to build up rather than tear down. He was able to see the big picture rather than to allow himself and others to drown in petty quarrels. The story teaches us that bearing each other's burdens is hard work. It requires thought, discernment. It means working towards the greater good in every situation. It means putting love and the other person first and ourselves last. It means forgetting petty arguments the hurt we feel, the frustrations, 
and the anger and working to bring the best out of each of us. Metropolitan Anthony of Siroz once said, every one of us is in the image of God and every one of us is like a damaged icon. But if we are given an icon damaged by time, damaged by circumstances, or desecrated by human hatred, we would treat her with reverence, with tenderness, with brokenheartedness. We would not pay attention primarily to the fact that it is damaged, but to the tragedy of it being damaged. We would concentrate on what is left of its beauty and not what is lost of its beauty. And this is what we must learn to do with regards to each person as an individual. We must learn to look and look until we have seen the underlying beauty that is there. Listen to people and whenever we discern something which sounds true, which is a revelation of harmony and beauty, emphasize it and help it to flower, strengthen it and encourage it to live. To do this is no simple task to achieve. It requires humility and it presupposes a life actively working to follow the teachings of Christ and to live a life in Christ. To bear one another's burden often feels impossible. Often, humanly speaking, the burdens we are called to carry are impossible. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ gives us the strength to bear our burdens. The Holy Spirit will give us the strength to do what is often impossible. The Holy Spirit, which we all received at our baptism and which nourishes and sustains us with holy confession and holy communion, and which is present when we pray fervently in church and in the quiet corner of our hearts, will bear fruit and help us to do what we thought was not possible, which is to lift the other person to love, to sacrifice, and to do so cheerfully without seeking acknowledgement and recognition for our efforts and our sacrifices. The fruit of the Spirit in our life transforms every difficult situation into love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. God is merciful and forgiving and teaches us to be so as well. Once the scribes and Pharisees brought to Christ a woman caught in adultery and they placed her in front of everyone so that she would be exposed to them all. And then they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Then one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, they all walked away. Then Jesus said to the woman, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So with this woman who was exposed so publicly for her sins, Jesus showed love and compassion, guiding her to repentance and instructing her to sin no more. Go your way, do not sin again. It is important for us to recognise that we have all sinned and no matter what sins we have done, in a sense, we are all like that fallen woman and the Lord continuously bears our burdens and forgives us again and again. He is merciful to us, to all of us. He does not abandon us, but is there next to us, forgives us and raises us up in the same way, instructing us to avoid sin for our own good. How can we not do the same with our brothers and sisters? We are called to give the same mercy that God gives to those around us. If we always remember that we have sins and downfalls, then we are more likely to understand the person with the burdens. We will be able to show compassion and understanding through Christ's gifts of love, meekness and humility. We are called to recognise his generous mercy and to bear witness to his compassion in our lives. There is a clear connection between our love for God and our love for others. We cannot claim to love God and not behave in a loving manner towards others. As we grow in our ability to love in an unselfish way, we become more sensitive to God's love for us. As we deepen our ability to forgive, we become more conscious of God's forgiveness of our sins. God's love for us should be reflected through us to those around us who then feel support and understanding. This helps to soften the heart of those suffering and can result in the healing of their weaknesses. Through this, the burden and expression of sin is borne by the other and may lead those who have fallen to salvation in Christ through repentance. This is how Christ's love is fulfilled, since Christ's love embraces and saves all of humanity. An orthodox commentary on this passage highlights that St. Paul identified as a significant problem in the church in Galatia the tendency for Christians to have contempt for others and hardness of hearts, especially when someone had fallen into sin. St. Paul instructs them not to reject or judge those that fall, but to deal with them with compassion, aiming to restore them to repentance in a spirit of meekness, 
For it is easy for pride to creep into the heart as we look down upon others, and we too may fall to the same sin. St John Chrysostom advises that we should question our motives for correcting and always remember Jesus' teaching about trying to remove the speck in our brother or sister's eye while we have a plank or a beam in our eye. He also tells us that since it is impossible for man to be without failings, then we should not scrutinise severely the offences of others, but to bear their failings, that our own failings may in turn be borne by others. As in the building of a house, not all the stones hold the same position, but one fitted for a corner, but not for the foundations, another for the foundations, and not for the corner, so it is in the body of the church. The one member bears with the other, and we do not require everything from each, but that each contributes in common, constitutes both the body and the building. And the blessed Theophilac points out that when we rebuke others, we often do so to justify our own passions, and often out of love of power. So therefore, we need to scrutinize our motives and to carefully weigh our actions and motives. He points out that the Pharisee criticized the publican tax collector, but the publican criticized himself. The Pharisee who criticized others was humiliated. The humble publican who criticized himself was exalted. We are one body, and when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers and feels pain. We all stagger under our own burdens at times and need help carrying them. A beautiful example of bearing one's burdens is the four men in the Bible who carried their friend who was paralyzed to be healed by Jesus. They labored hard to get their friend into the Lord's presence. They did not complain about the weight. They did not give up when there were obstacles. They went to the extent of climbing to the roof and removing tiles to lower him in front of the Lord. These men had love, faith, perseverance, and they were able to bear their friend's weakness and need and to ensure that he was brought to the Lord. Another example is the behaviour of D, which is recounted by one of the fathers of the church. It is reported that when D either wander in their herds or when they are swimming to reach a destination, that they support the burdens of their heads on each other in such a way that one takes the lead and the others follow, resting their heads upon the deer in front of them in succession to the very end of the herd. The deer that takes the lead, in a sense, bears the burden of all the heads. And then when he becomes tired, he returns to the rear and rests himself after his fatigue by supporting his head on the deer in front of him. Thus, each in turn, they all manage to accomplish their journey and do not abandon each other. Because they are all helping each other, no one drowns. 
This is what the apostle refers to, that together we bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Another current Orthodox writer emphasises how in the epistle with this passage, St Paul places the law in its proper content. The law was not meant to be an instrument for accumulating merit and earning favour or simply an instrument of punishment. The law is fulfilled, as St Paul says in this passage, and practised truly when we have love for our neighbour. By bearing one another's burdens, we fulfil the true intent and the purpose of the law. The law becomes the law of Christ, the royal law of love. We are called to be the living word of God. We are called to live in such a way that we preach the gospel with our lives and with our love for others. This is the perfect love that we are asked to have for those around us, a love which is not defined and limited by sentimental expression or emotional words, but a love that is forged with sacrifice and actions. We can talk and talk about love, but if we do not demonstrate love with our actions and with sacrifice, then it means nothing at all. St Paul asks us to mirror the love that Christ has for all of us. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in right. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. If we want this kind of love, then we need to abandon our old ways and our tendencies to judge and criticise, our impatience and our intolerances, and instead to cultivate the kind of love that is ready to do the hard work of bearing one another's burdens, to show discernment, meekness, patience and sensitivity, and thus we truly fulfil the law of Christ in our lives and we become a living example of Christ's love. I will conclude with Saint Macarius, the Great of Egypt, who wrote in the fourth century that his life was like an onion. He kept peeling off layers of skin each day. He called these layers anger, envy, fear, anguish, anxiety, hate, lust, slothfulness, avarice, judgmentalism, and overindulgence. One by one, these layers had to be shed before one could reach the innermost chamber of the heart. Once in their own heart, a person finds a crawling serpent nestled in comfort. The serpent's name is self-love and self-pity. This serpent has invaded and wounded the soul's most vital organ, the heart. The snake cannot be killed, says Saint Macarios. It can only be controlled through ascesis, watchfulness, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. Saint Macarios was so busy shedding the many layers of sin from his life, so busy coping with the snake of self-love and self-pity in his heart, 
that he had no time to criticise the sins of others. All he could say was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner.'" 